0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TuesdayBibleQuest.org talk show. show. (laughs) Sorry about that, Jeff. (laughs) But if you're joining us through the live Zoom app, we want to hear from you. So please use that Q&A window for your comments and your questions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TuesdayBibleQuest.org talk show. What happened next? We got two Drews. (laughs) Somebody said I can't be in the same Two different places at the same time, but I'm here. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, let's just get right through it. Scott, you're coming in from Gettysburg. How are you doing today,
1: Scott? Hey, Drew. I'm doing fine. How are you today?
0: Good, thanks. A little embarrassed, but I, other than that, I'm okay. Uh, Stephen, how are you doing? You're from Gettysburg, too.
2: I am. Welcome, everybody.
0: Uh, and from Exton, the calm Jeff. How are you doing, Jeff?
1: Hello. Doing very well. Good to be with everybody again today.
0: Oh, I'm sure you guys don't want to walk out now on me on that one. Hey, so Jeff, before we get started, though, why don't you give a plug in for the Wednesday Bible Quest talk show that?
1: So we announced last week we were going to do this last Wednesday, and then we didn't do it. Well, we had a little delay, but we are launching uh, tomorrow the inaugural edition of a program similar to this one that we'll be doing at three o'clock on Wednesday afternoons. Um, Tomorrow we will have a special guest in the middle of the program, probably at about 10 or 15 after three, Josh Gertler. I could say Dr. Josh Gertler because he has a Ph.D. in biology and he's going to be joining us to talk about evolution and especially what evolutionists say about evolution behind closed doors. So the program starts 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, and partway through the program, Josh Gertler will be joining us. Joe Works and I will be your hosts.
0: Oh, that's good. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we'll go ahead and make the link live on the website later today, so that other people can also connect through that link. And I'm your host, Drew DeGrado from Holmesdale. So glad that everyone's here with us today, especially you in the audience. Uh, so Scott, why don't you uh, take the floor?
1: Well, today we're going to be talking about Romans 12. Which is one of my favorite chapters in one of my favorite books. In the book of Romans, Paul has spent eleven chapters talking about the problem of sin, that Gentiles had sinned against God, Jews had sinned against God, the wrath of God against sin, and that our works don't change, our good works don't take away our sin. Law doesn't take away our sin. It's through the blood of Christ and putting our trust in that, that we can have salvation, both Jew and Gentile. I'm talking about that for all these 11 chapters and ramifications of it. He ends chapter 11 praising God's plan and wisdom, and then he switches gears. He has been talking about what God did for us, and then he switches to what the redeemed should do, how they should live. And so that begins Romans chapter 12. And Stephen, why don't you start taking us here uh, through these two great opening verses?
2: All right. Romans 12, Paul begins. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's interesting that Paul begins this new section that's going to be focused on practical living, uh, Christian living. By an appeal, saying, I am just kind of pleading with you. I'm appealing to you. And he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Right. And it's notable that Paul kind of ended Romans 11 by saying back in Romans 11, verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they, too, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And then there's this praise section at the end of chapter 11. And now he says, by the mercy of God. And so he just begins by asking us to kind of reflect on how merciful God has been to us. Which after reflecting on, as Scott just mentioned, the problem of sin for most of the first part of this book, we have to marvel. At, God should destroy us. I mean, we shouldn't even be here. Um, and if we feel like we're entitled to salvation, we need to go back and read the first 11 chapters. Yo. But as we're marveling, look at how merciful God is. It's not an invitation to, well, God is just so merciful, so I should just stay the way I am. It right. is a appeal to... God is so merciful, therefore I need to sacrifice my life to him and give him everything that I have. So he brings up this kind of famous image of a sacrifice, but most sacrifices are what when they're offered?
0: Dead sacrifices.
2: Mm -hmm. Dead sacrifices, right? That's kind of the whole point, is you kill the animal and it's giving up its life. God doesn't ask us all just to die for him. There are certainly those who have Lay down their life for the Lord. But this concept is an interesting one of not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice offered up to God uh, as worship. And, and, and this is the picture of our life, is that in the same way that a dead sacrifice would be killed on the altar and then totally consumed up to God, all of it is just given up to God. He says... That's what you're supposed to do with your life, with your body. Even that we are to offer everything that we do—not just like going to church on Sunday, you know, studying the Bible here and there, saying a prayer here and there—but your life, everything you do in the body, is supposed to be this offering to God, um, a a living sacrifice. You know, thoughts or comments on that concept?
1: As you were talking about that, it reminded me. It's different wording, but it's really kind of the same point from 2 Corinthians 5. We need to live for him who died for us. Yeah, I love that passage. That's such. Let's throw out some questions for our audience here. Uh, I posted some of these on my Facebook page, and I also want to get them out here. Uh, To the audience, this is a practical test, a lot of application in this text. And it's here's what redeemed people should look like. Here's what they should be doing, their attitudes, their actions. There's so many good texts in here. So just for our audience, what is your favorite verse in Romans 12 and why? Also, a couple other questions. There's three texts, I'm sure more, but there's three texts in particular from elsewhere in the Bible that are echoed or quoted in Romans 12. What, What text do you see parallels to and quotations from along that line. So, uh, you can text us at 530 507 8378 or if you are at Bible Quest, uh, the Bible Quest page uh, then you can and what is it drew? It's hit the which the button
0: Q and A, the Q&A button will bring up the Q&A box, the window and just keep that window open and type away your questions. In fact, you can even raise your hand if you want to come on live with us.
2: Just raise your hand. But that's all done within the app.
1: All right. And- have a
2: comment here in the chat section. Sergey said transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is right here in our first two verses. And what a wonderful thing to meditate on is that. What God happened is to the. Not- uh, what was that?
0: Are We having technical difficulties or is it just me?
1: I can hear Stephen, and then I heard you. Can you hear us, John?
0: Yeah. I hear you now. It froze. Okay. We're going good. Well, this is okay, the end okay, of ahead, All right. Go All ahead, right.
1: Steve.
2: Well, yeah, well, as Sergey here points out, uh, transformed by the renewal of your mind is a important concept in these first couple of verses, and it's the way in which we're supposed to be transformed, not conformed to the world. It's not just in our outward way of living. It's not just that we don't do the things that the world does, but it's that we actually change the way that we think the way that we view the world is completely changed from the inside out. And again, that goes back to just seeing ourselves as we're all charity cases. We're here by God's mercy, Uh, seeing our bodies as a living sacrifice. That is a different mentality then the world's concept that says your body is yours to do what you want to with it. And it's you first. Right. I mean, that, that has important implications from things like abortion to things like uh, drugs and alcohol, to things sexual like conduct. sexual conduct. Exactly. First Corinthians six, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Yeah. And all these concepts tie together and that's a different way of thinking.
0: Now, I also want to add something to that if I may, The purpose there is so that you, in addition to what you said, Stephen, but the purpose there is also so that you could discern, judge, understand what the will of God is. Because as I'm having discussions with different people, we're looking at the scriptures, they're looking at the scriptures, but they're not looking at it the same way. And I believe it's because they're looking at it from the eyes through the rose-colored glasses of human wisdom and thinking and trying to make the word fit that whereas what he's saying here don't be conformed to the human way of thinking transform it by renewing your mind and then you will understand the will of God am I making more of that than I should be but I think that that's in there too right
1: yeah and and this idea of trans of being transformed and not conforming to this world and uh, having the renewing of our minds uh, behind all of that it challenges the idea of compartmentalized lives where religion or faith is just kind of, it's one part of my life. Right. There's the old, the old story about the the chicken and the pig that lived on this farm and they really appreciated the farmer. You know, he was just a great farmer and they thought, uh, you know, he does a lot for us. We ought to do something for him. The chicken said, and the pig said, well, what do we do? And chicken said, well, you know, We have it within ourselves because of what we are. We could provide him a wonderful breakfast of bacon and eggs. And, uh, of course, the pig said, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) So for the pig, it would have been a a real self-sacrifice. For the chicken, it's just like, this is a little thing I can do for the farmer. A little donation. A little (laughs) donation. The pig
0: pig himself is making a commitment.
1: That's right. That's (laughs) right. Where and so in people's lives today, oftentimes that's the way religion is. It's like the the egg is for the chicken. Okay, this is something I can do for him, but then I can live the rest of my life as I please. Right. But we are to be the sacrifice, like the pig, but in living fashion. So our lives are dedicated to God, and and you're not going to accomplish that unless your mind is dedicated to God and you're transformed from thinking in terms of what I want and this lifetime and glory among men and Success in the eyes of men, you have to be transformed from that way of thinking to thinking about how do I serve God? How do I glorify God? Who am I and what am I all about before God? And it's it's one of the challenges for us is of any generation is it's not enough to just believe in Jesus and want the blessings from him. This is our obligation And not everybody who claims the name of Christ follows through on this. For instance, let's consider the church of Corinth. They had believed in Christ. They'd been baptized into Christ. And it wasn't a monolithic group. Not everybody had the same problem. But when you read 1 Corinthians, and when you look at the culture of the city of Corinth, we really see that instead of being transformed, in many ways, they were still conformed to the behavior of Corinth. What, just real quickly, what are a couple of examples of that? What were some of the ways in which the Corinthian church was still being Corinthian? They still wanted to go down and participate in the idol feast at the idol temple. They still wanted to maybe go along with fornication, maybe justify fornication. They were still thinking in terms of, of uh, worldly standards of wisdom and valuing things based on human wisdom, those kind of things. Yeah. Anything else? We've got another comment all the way from Moldova. Uh, Sergey again has a comment in the chat window there. Um, And he says, transformed by the renewal of your mind, it would probably be good to stress that the information provided in the first 11 chapters was the tool to be used for the mind renewal. And and I can see that in part in the sense that one of the things Paul is doing is he's challenging the idea that you stand justified before God by what you've done. If we understand that we're going to be justified uh, before God because of what he's done, because of of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, then I I truly owe myself to him. You know. Like the opening phrase there, as Stephen pointed out, I appeal to you by the mercies of God.
2: Yep. And when you think about it, it, kind of going back to our chicken and the pig analogy, I hadn't heard that before, Jeff. I really like that. Ooh. I love that analogy. It would also be a little bit like the chicken and the pig getting together and figure out, well, I'm going to give the farmer, what can I give him? I'm, I'm going to give him my my feed. I'm going to give him my slop. I'm going to give him, you know, the things that I like. The thing is, who gave you that in the first place? Gave it to you and you're just giving it. But isn't that when we renew our mind and our perspective is, I didn't make my body. I didn't form myself out of nothing. God made me. Uh, I mean, Solomon, when he's making the temple, he's like, Or David, when he gets the stuff for the temple, he's like, we're giving you the stuff that you've given first to us. And so when God asks for our bodies as a living sacrifice, we're still just giving God back the very thing that he gave to us. And that's very different than feeling like, well, I'm entitled to do what I want to do. And I'll I'll begrudgingly kind of give God part of me. No, like, it's just, it's a rightful thing i some translations instead of spiritual worship have a rational service and when you think of that well, god gave me my body anyway that is the rational thing to do i, I give back to god what he's given to me
0: exactly Bertina put it on the chat there uh some translations say therefore and i think the one you read earlier on says that in that first verse therefore replying what she says indicates the point about the prior chapters so both of those good uh points are coming in, uh, that came in are good. I think we need to get along, though, with some more of the, the, the verses here, so we have some more to discuss about, because he's going to a lot of points here. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead this time? Well, Scott, who did you want to read this?
1: It, it doesn't matter. I'm just having trouble advancing. All right? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, according each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Let's start. Somebody address this idea uh, of this balance. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think soberly.
0: Well, I think, I don't know if it was the previous chapter or the one before that, he he tells them, like, um, don't think you're, he doesn't say it more highly, but he says, just because they failed, don't think you guys got it above them or something to that effect. And I can't remember uh, which chapter it was. So there was a chance for their heads to get bigger, the Gentiles, yeah. for their heads to get bigger, because yeah. you know, they're now grafted in. Yeah. And that means
2: we're cool. Uh, 1118. So what, what was it? 1118, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Right. Um, so there that, you go. Into detail there.
0: Yeah. And that, that was the one I was thinking of. Thanks, Stephen. But so therefore, don't think of yourself more highly. But this applies to everybody, not just to those Gentiles.
1: Yeah. Get somebody paint a picture of someone, say, particularly in a religious setting, that starts to think more highly of themselves than they ought. And then maybe somebody else paint a picture of somebody who's not, not stepping up to the plate and and, uh, with sober judgment and taking responsibility for what they can do.
2: I think about the (laughs) tax collector and the Pharisee. I mean, uh, you know, I mean the Pharisee, Is giving tithes of all that you have a good thing? Is fasting twice a week a good thing? I mean, it it can be. It's funny. I noticed the other day that the the Pharisee says almost the exact three things that Jesus says be careful about in Matthew 6. Um, (laughs) Fasting, giving to the poor, and prayer. Giving to the poor is uh, hard to make that connection, but it's just kind of interesting there. But here's a guy. He's doing good religious things. But he, and he has impressed about. himself right. I thank you that I am not like other men. I mean <laughs> he's just so high minded um, and and it, a lot of this has to do well, the way that we can sometimes do a gut check for ourselves is just how do we view the people around us? Do we yeah. kind of view ourselves as I am here to help everyone around me <laughs> and, not, and not in a service kind of way. Like I'm here to help, but I like, say, I can condescend to these people. You know? and,
1: um, <laughs> okay. Jim Nunn has a, a good uh, observation. Naaman. Naaman thought he was too good. It, it was beneath him to do simple oh, yeah. thing he'd been instructed to do by the prophet of, of God. For those who don't know the story, Naaman is this Syrian captain. He is an important man in his country, but he has leprosy. He has come to Israel to get healed or cleansed of his leprosy. He is sent to the prophet Elisha, but instead of Elisha coming out and uh, giving accolades to this great commander from the Syrian army and treating him as visiting dignitary, Elisha sends his servant out. The servant tells him the word of God is, go dip in the river Jordan seven times, you'll be cleansed. And Naaman thought, well, the prophet will come out, wave his hands about the place and make a big show. You know, if I was going to dip in some river, I could have dipped in the rivers back home. And so he was upset. He was angry. He's going to go home without being cleansed. Of course, the story has a happy ending. But at that point, Naaman was thinking too much of himself. We have a question here. What does it mean by the faith that God has assigned? You notice in there. By the faith, uh, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And, uh, you know, as we keep reading here, for as in one body, we have many members. The members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are in one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Uh, Oh, yeah. Having gifts that according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And maybe a good example of this would be uh, Korah. He's been given... What responsibility by God to be a Levite, and they had certain responsibilities. But what in the there's something he's guilty of that's in this text not to do. He thought more highly of himself than he ought, mm-hmm. and he it, Moses had been given a job that Cora hadn't been given. Yeah, and just like the Corinthians who are jealous of somebody who had a different gift than them, Cora is jealous of what God has assigned to Moses. And he says, I ought to be able to do that too. How does that work out? Yeah, not, not so well. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you what, we can talk about how that worked out and it didn't work out well for Korah. But uh, similarly, there's Uzziah who was king and yet it was not his place to go in and burn the incense. And yet he took that upon himself. This is not a passage teaching against taking initiative or jumping in and being a volunteer or expanding, pushing the envelope, doing uh, learning to do more than I've done in the past. This is not discouraging any of those things, but it is a passage trying to help us not to be motivated to think uh, I, I want this status of doing this. I want to do this or that when there's somebody else who is doing a very good job of it, and I'm going to take it from them so that I can get the glory. Um, That's the kind of attitude we ought not have.
2: It's notable that this idea of transforming your mind is really, this is a great illustration of that. Because he says, for by the grace given to me, in verse three, and then down in verse six, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. um, That this is a... Something that the Lord is giving us the, the privilege of being able to serve in these different roles, these different realms. And uh, again, that goes back to seeing it not as, oh, I'm going to use this for my glory, but I'm doing this because of the grace God's given. And, and he
1: does go ahead and he encourages us to be zealous and diligent in doing what we can. This is this is the point of the passages. He says in verse six and following. Uh, let's start in verse seven. Our ministry, let us give ourselves, that's kind of the editorial uh, addition the English translation provides to to fill out the meaning or flesh it out. Our ministry to our ministry uh, or he that teaches to his teaching or he that exhorts to his exhorting. If you have an ability, if you have an opportunity, it's kind of the the statement in Galatians chapter six, verse 10. As we have opportunity to do good, let us do good to all men as we have opportunity when you have an opportunity, when you have an opportunity either because of occasion or ability or talent, then throw yourself into it because you're a living sacrifice to God. Uh, it comes to mind the talents. The five talent man was given more opportunities than the two talent and the one talent man. The five talent man used it to get five. The two talent man used it to get two. The mistake of the one talent man wasn't that, oh, he wasn't a five talent man. It was that he didn't use that talent that he had been given. Exactly. In fact, our this is just a little, little uh, trivia thing. Our English word "talent," that means a skill or ability, it oh. comes from this text in the Bible. That's no, how. In, I did not know that. that yeah, is- if you look it up in the dictionary, that's the because the Greek word, which was a weight of,
2: was it seventy something pounds? Am I remembering correctly? I think it was 75 pounds, but I don't remember.
1: Yeah, that's what it was back then. It was a weight of measurement of like silver or gold. And uh, the Greek word was talentos. And because of how Jesus used it in the parable, that created the English word talent.
2: Wow. Another notable thing about this passage is the body analogy. Uh, It's all one Body, and he says it specifically right there at the end of verse five. And we are members one of another, that we're different. The hand is not the foot, the foot is not the eye, the eye is not the stomach, or whatever you know. Different parts of your body have very different forms and functions, but without your stomach the rest of your body is in trouble you know um and, and we are members of one another and again this goes back to renewing our mind not thinking more highly of ourselves. i need to do my job the best that i can do but not think that i'm any better or any worse than any other member of the body because we need all the members working together just like your body needs every part to function properly a
1: couple we- of things that uh viewers have uh Uh, put in. One, somebody pointed out that at least one of the screens said 1 Corinthians 13. If so, that's probably my fault. Sorry for the glitch. We are today on Romans 12. Uh, And just touching on one more thing about when this person, we've got this call that said, what does it mean uh, by the faith that God has assigned? Uh, We talked about what it does mean. I think we can say one thing it does not mean is that God uh, lets this person believe in Jesus, and, you know, in another Christian, he doesn't want to believe in Jesus. He wants all disciples to believe in Jesus. Faith, going back to the theme verse of Romans, uh, the gospel is the power of God and salvation to all that believe, to the Jew first. And also to the Gentiles. So all of these Jews and all of these Gentiles were to have faith in Christ. But this is talking about things that God has assigned in these different skills and abilities and roles and functions. Anything else on that before we? Real quickly, I know we've got a lot to get to, but I want to make a comment about this word "members." In in English, we use the word "member" in a wide variety of contexts. We use the word "member" as members of a club. Uh, members of a team, um, all kinds of contexts, and then we might say members of the body. But it's almost like that's kind of a an ex- secondary usage of the term member, drawn from the others. In in Greek of the New Testament times, it was just the opposite. Member was a part of the body. That's what the word meant. It was it was used to refer to an organ or an external part of the body. It did not mean, uh, somebody who had a place in a certain organization. And, and so it is, it is only metaphorically that it can be used with reference to the new Testament church, because the church is being pictured as a body. And so when you read the new Testament in the original language, and you come to this idea we are members, one of another, uh, it is, it is right there in the forefront, the idea of a body, and each of us is a part of that, and therefore we're a part of one another. And just as a little bit of a rabbit, just a little tangent that I'll mention here, we oftentimes in religious circles today start talking about being members of a local congregation. And given the modern usage of the term member, that makes sense to us. But in and, and in fact, we'll even hear people use the term the local body as with reference to the local church. And you all may or may not agree with me on this. And I'm talking to my fellow panelists, but I'll throw this out in the New Testament. The local church is never referred to as a body. First Corinthians 12, when it speaks of the body, is speaking of a body into which we are baptized and which has apostles. That's the one body of Christ. The term body is never used of the local church. It's only used of the one body of Christ, one head, one body, not one head, many different bodies, like many different congregations. And the idea of being a member is used with respect to being a part of the whole body of Christ. Just a little tangent for what it's worth.
0: Oh, that's good. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Sometimes I lose that, the facts of that. So we're members of the whole, could you say universal body? Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, I mean, we associate with people locally, right?
1: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I don't get, I don't get out of shape. In fact, I catch myself saying members of the church at Exton or something, because in English, we use the term member more broadly. But just talking about how it's used in the Bible here. Let me share an example of of what Jeff was just saying. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was in Indiana, and a brother there told me about uh, a conversation at at a church. I think it was in Kentucky. Where he had preached, and a fellow's name came up that he had never ever met. He didn't go to church there. He wasn't, you know, and and uh, oh, I think maybe, a, yeah, a year. It'd been twenty years since he'd been there, and he was listed in the newspaper as being a member of that church. So, like, Jeff was talking about membership. You know, I'm a member of the NRA, or I'm a member yeah. of this, or I'm a member of that. So, and he I said, <laughs> "Yeah." They, they said, who is this? I said, oh, yeah, he's a member of the church here. <laughs> and he said, yeah. and he had not been there in 20 years. But some people have that idea. Well, I've got my membership. Uh, I remember one time we had to uh, mark a fellow just for ungodliness. And he just got adamant. He said, I'm a member. I'm a member. In First Corinthians 12, it's very clear. The members was one member is a hand that does something one yeah. member is a foot it does something the ear does something the eye does something too many people want to be body fat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just there and doesn't do anything and we we need to be members and and specifically then if we think of that in terms of our being a part of the body of Christ we're really talking about it was essentially saying the same thing as being a Christian. And there are a lot of people for whom the concept of being a Christian is just, uh, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not pagan. I'm not Islam. Uh, I got christened when I was a baby or something. Um, but they're not a functioning part of Jesus Christ.
2: Stephen, what are you going to say? Scott, can you go to the next screen real quick? When we're thinking about this idea of being a member of the body, Uh, I think sometimes the temptation is, well, I don't have a lot of talents. I don't do a lot of things publicly. I'm not good at public speaking or leading singing or whatever. But look at the types of things that he talks about here. Some of these in Romans 12 seem to be uh, miraculous. And some of these, I think, seem to be non-miraculous, especially toward the end as you look at this. Um, But there's different ways, a lot of different ways we can serve. He mentions prophecy. Then he just mentions service, uh, serving people, teaching. Exhorting people, which is like teaching, but has a little bit more umph to it. Um, it perhaps a little more confrontation. And there's a good way to do that, and there's a bad way to do that. Uh, contri- contributing, being generous, uh, leading, and I, I really like this last one. I think this is really interesting. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness—that's one of the ways in which we can be a member and function as part of the body—is by showing mercy doing acts of mercy Uh, sometimes we sing that song all creatures of our god and king Um, and there's an interesting verse that song i hadn't thought about it till i heard it again recently that says and all ye men of tender heart forgiving others do your part or take your part alleluia alleluia ye whom long pain and sorrow bear trust god and on him cast your care Oh, praise him, praise him, hallelujah. And it's that we're offering ourselves as that living sacrifice to God when we're showing mercy, when we're suffering and trusting God through that. And there's all sorts of different ways that we participate in, in the work and our members. Hey, Steve, I
0: want to take, take that opportunity to ask that question, my question, acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's not saying that some people do it without cheerfulness, but, but it's implying something else, right?
2: Well, it would seem to be that way that uh, uh-huh. he qualifies most of the different things here, you know. If you're going to uh, contribute, do it generously. Don't just like, well, I guess I gotta do something. So I gotta yeah, point Exactly. But if you're gonna be merciful, I mean, well, God said I had to forgive him. So <laughs> you know. Well no. With cheerfulness. And again, he's just appealed to them by the Mercies of God, and if we see God's mercy to us, we're able to much more cheerfully be merciful to others. All right.
1: We have had good audience participation today. We'd like that to continue. Five three zero five zero seven eight three seven eight. The number there is at the bottom of the screen if you want to text in a comment or a question. Uh, in particular, looking for what's your favorite verse in Romans 12 and why. And also, uh, you can reach us on the Bible Tap, uh,
0: the, the, actual
1: the actual app which is either way alright let's go to the next text let love be genuine remember Peter is going to say talk about unfeigned faith here let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor And I'd like to ask first about this, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good.
0: Well, that that tells us right off the bat, though, that we have to discern and know the difference between evil and good
1: first. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I need to cling to that, which is good. Is that word fast uh, referring to that word cling, clinging to it? And and abhor, isn't that referring to hating what is evil?
2: Yes. And
1: and there there's a there's a real challenge there because as Hebrews eleven mentions, the it said, uh, Moses chose something good instead of choosing the you remember the phrase? Pleasures of sin for a season. People find pleasure in sin, I don't know many people, you know, the, the Ten Commandments don't say things like, do not take a power sander to your eyeball. You know, <laughs> nobody wants to do that. There, there, there's no pleasure in it. And so you don't need to spend much time forbidding people to do that. There are pleasures in sins. And this passage is telling us to learn to abhor why is evil. And the more we can learn to abhor what is evil, then the less we want to do what is evil. So on a practical basis, what are some ways that we can train ourselves and what are some perspectives that we can train ourselves to both abhor what is evil and hold fast to what's good? Well, what we need to do, we need to talk about the practical ways. But to me, it seems important to get to the practical. We, first of all, have to appreciate the conceptual. Um, And the problem that we often have in our culture today is we don't conceptually understand that evil is evil. We don't understand hating evil. There's too many people have the attitude. Well, I don't want to hate anything. You know, well, no, we need to hate something. In Psalm 97 verse 10, hate evil, you who love the Lord. Yeah, Our parcel of loving God is hating that which is opposed to God. Right. You know, if if I if I love someone and there's a, and that someone gets cancer and there's a tumor in that person that's destroying that person, I'm going to hate that which is destroying that person. If, if God loves us and He hates that which destroys us, sin, and we need to learn to hate that which is evil, to abhor it, find it yeah. disgusting. Too often today, people's attitude is they can accept anything and everything, and they, and they pat themselves on the back, think that makes them good.
0: Don't you think that has something to do with why he's putting let love be genuine in front of that statement? There's a connection there, isn't there?
1: If our love is genuine, if we genuinely love God, then we're
2: going to find evil more
1: abhorrent.
2: Mm-hmm. So like, like, Jeff, just quoted from Psalm if, ninety-seven, ten: "Hate evil, you who love the Lord." Yeah. Yep.
0: So if I don't hate evil, as some denomination uh, Christians, they'll embrace what the Bible identifies as evil and accept it as okay. But yet, if um, so therefore, I'm I'm claiming I love that evil. I'm, I'm trying to say it. But if correct.
1: you if you tolerate loving evil, then how genuine is your love for God? That's, good
0: point. You. That's the point. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's
2: a John couple of other John ways. also commented here is Isaiah 5.20, which I'll double check that, but I believe it's the woe to those who call evil oh, good, yeah. good evil. Uh, let me get yep. that correct here because this is a very powerful verse. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 where it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. A powerful yeah. reminder. And when people get confused over what's good and what's evil, it's harder to hate what's evil because some people are saying, well, I, I thought that was good. And it's harder to love what hold fast what's good because some people are saying, oh, that's evil. And that's the culture we live in, isn't it? It is constantly people are calling evil, good and and good evil. And so it's hard to know where to put our affections. And so we really need to stick to God's word on these things.
1: To hear some people talk, you'd think that the only thing evil is opposing evil. Yeah. Tolerating evil is good. Opposing evil is evil. I'd like to suggest two ways to help us abhor what is evil. One is to look at what it does, right. um, like in, in Proverbs, look not upon the wine when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, look at what it does, then it paints the drunkard. You think about alcohol commercials. Yeah. They, what, who do you see in the alcohol commercial? What do you see? Beautiful people having fun and oh. happy they are so excited and having such fun they're such great friends they're living it up they're in beautiful places so lovely clubs it's just wonderful you never see a guy with a great big beer belly especially an never ugly guy with a great big beer belly balding <laughs> you always see these vibrant young healthy looking people just good looking people having great fun yeah that's kind of a deceptive picture yeah, you don't see the family that's broken up in, in in the commercial. You don't see the fella staggering away from the drunk driving accident where he's just killed somebody. You don't see the wino lying in the gutter. Yeah, and so to look, look what it does. Another thing, uh, how did Nathan get David to see the problem with his sin? Mm. You got yeah. it
2: to see it. it's somewhere out there in someone yes. else. Yes. someone
0: else was doing it.
2: You yeah. are. And so if
1: there's something that we're tempted to do, it may be even an attitude thing uh, uh, or it can be an action thing. And if we're trying to justify it in ourselves, but if we stop and think, wait a minute, how would I like it if other people treated me that way? When we see other people do it, and it goes back to the the moat and the, the beam thing. When we see it in other people's eye, we tend to notice it's what? Bigger. you got a problem. Yeah. You got a problem. We don't want to yeah. excuse it in ourselves. But to stop and think, picture that thing that we might be tempted with and picture people that we really respect and appreciate. Would I want to see them behaving that way? Them thinking that way? Never. And the ugliness stands out. And then transfer it to myself. Yeah. Right. And then, thirdly, coming back to what you guys have said the, the love of God. You know, what, the, what does our choosing to pursue sin, how does that look in the face of God who sin is son to die?
0: I think this is a good point that we could be closing on today. Uh, let's bring up a few other points before we do. I mean, uh, comments on what you were saying, Stephen.
2: Um, we did have a, another uh, text in question from Sonia Kane, and she was asking if we recognized a progression or connection between the exhortations beginning in verse 9 all the way down through verse 21. And we had talked about that a little bit. Um, I do think there is a, a connection, especially with the exhortations in verse 9 going down through verse 14. I was looking at Young's literal translation on this, and it's kind of interesting the way it phrases it. It reads, starting in verse 9, The love, unfeigned, abhorring the evil, cleaving to the good, and, and the love of brethren to one another kindly affections, and the honor going before one another, and the diligence not slothful, and the spirit fervent, the Lord serving, and the hope rejoicing, and the tribulation enduring, and the prayer persevering, to the necessities of the saints, communicating the hospitality, pursuing. Um, so there is kind of an interesting construction down through those exhortations, especially. We certainly do see that all of these are very practical. There will be some other connections with Romans twelve about the wrath of God that goes into Romans thirteen about the government being a messenger of His wrath to, to carry that out. Um, so there are some thematic things that tie that section together.
0: So what do you say? So, so, you're, so what are you saying there, Scott? Next week, continue this?
2: <laughs> there we
1: go. Yeah, we're out of time for today. Uh, and so we've gotten a good start on Romans chapter 12, and we will pick up there and continue next week.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Look forward to seeing everybody next week. Enjoy. Everybody. Bye, guys.